Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 19, The Elders of Lorraine, and August 31st, 1992. Inside the fortress, the pyramid screen was cluttered with blue haze, and Halfrin ordered the screen shut off. Smiling, Halfrin ordered Brady's gag removed and came around the edge of the table to meet the human. You will be brought to the entryway. To the what? The entry to Bahrain. You will see the Albert now. Take him away. Goodbye, Mr. Brady. Brady was visibly upset, but there was not a whole lot he could do or say. From his vantage point, the main assaulting force was gone. The hope of storming the fortress was unequivocally lost. He had known that ever since he had seen the terrain below from the Gavador, but now there was no chance. His only hope lay in convincing the elders that Earth was worth saving. Carrying the translator, he was forced to the front of the room by the guards. On the far wall, about 500 feet from the table, were two towering wood doors, maybe 30 feet high. Several guards pulled at the doors and they slowly creaked open as Brady approached. Brady looked inside. The corridor, which appeared endless, extended like an open funnel into infinity. Unlike the rest of the fortress, it was not lined with the ancient weathered stone. It was rather like a solid, molded piece of white plastic with deep rings surrounding the funnel, playing tricks with his eyes. Holding the translator, he stood inside as they closed the doors on him. The corridor seemed to assume a light of its own. Where am I? he asked as his voice echoed. said Halfrin's voice through the translator. And the elders are down there? That is correct. Not walking. He strode forward, but as he moved away from the doors, he sensed a low vibration in the air. The tunnel-like corridor was sloping downward. In just a few hundred yards, the inclination was so great he had to start running. Strangely, he seemed to be going much faster than the amount of exertion he expended. It was like the floor was moving. The angle became so steep he flew off the tunnel, moving even faster now toward nowhere. His speed soared as he was drawn toward a massive red light up ahead. Veins of yellow lightning flooded the red glow as he flew through it, shielding his eyes. His eyes were closed when he hit solid ground and rolled over. The vibration and the velocity had ceased. He sat up on a grassy hill overlooking a light blue sandy beach. There were similar hills to his rear and a large red sun appeared in a pale green sky. To his right was a marble structure with pillars resembling a Greek temple, with the exception of the roof which spiraled upward like a skyscraper. Where were the elders? Three Edorfs in long green robes appeared in the air. We have come to bring you to the beach, he said to them, looking up, as they were at least six inches taller. All has been arranged for you, Brady. Two of them put their arms under his arms, and he followed the other Edorf to the beach. They brought this human in his suit and hat to the edge of the breaking waves. As they turned and released him, they continued their senseless smiling. It is not for us to say, where are the elders? The elders will come now. Brady, looking out at the lime-colored sea, turned back to speak to them, but they weren't there. At this point, after what he had been through, that didn't surprise him at all. He sat in the light blue sand, waiting for the elders and sifting the fine grains through his fingers as he wondered about things on earth. 
Things must have changed. Lorna might be out of the hospital by now. He didn't want to think about the other possibilities concerning Lorna, and he asked himself, if he were coffee, how would he have handled the scene at Peace Mountain? It was a tricky question because, indeed, the colonel had no proof of anything, and Brady had just dramatically disproved Von Grunkel. But now Brady sat and sifted the sand, unable to answer his own questions as he shook his head. From the ocean, the wind began to pick up, and Brady noticed the waves were splashing onto the beach. The red sun above the ocean was slowly obscured by advancing mustard-hued clouds. They thickened, soon covering all the sky above him. To his utter shock, he watched a wall of water appear on the ocean horizon, hundreds of feet high. He turned to run, but forces beyond his control held him securely on the beach. This giant wall of water, thrashing and tumbling, advanced to a point just close enough for him to fear for his own life. Then the wall froze suddenly. He felt like a pebble at the base of a monster mountain, insignificant and helpless in its shadow. Five indiscernible white glows grew in front of the water wall. The light became clearer as five recognizable Mergendorf faces now hovered over him. The one in the middle spoke first, and his frightening voice echoed around the hills. Welcome to Vorey, Mr. Brady. We are the elders of Vorey, the holders of the ancient lore and the keepers of the social order of Mergendorf. The immense head on the right spoke to him. We have awaited your arrival for some time. You have been the instrument to preserve the order and integrity of the planet. The instrument of death, shouted Brady. Is that how you hold your order together by slaughtering half a million dwarfs? The elders seemed perplexed by his arrogant attitude, turning and whispering to one another. The elder in the center spoke again, almost pretending he hadn't heard Brady's utterance. The order has been preserved. The laws are intact. Excess freedom of choice has been struck down in the wake. The laws will survive and the deaths of thousands will save millions. No, that isn't true. Even in your conditioned world, there are those who yearn to determine the course of their own lives. You do not know the law, Brady, said the one on the left. Brady spoke right over the elders' words. I know your law, how you bottle up these dwarfs on a planet like cattle. They are not cattle. You are speaking out of place said the center one. You have no idea what it means to bring a being to its full spiritual, material, and other needs in society. You pride yourself in your laws, but you have no latitude. You... We have allowed you this meeting to speak to you and to hear your defense of your planet, not to listen to such blasphemy. You're right. We have not come to speak of your laws. We have come, he said, moving into the water itself. The waves lapped against his ankle. To talk about Earth, we've come to speak of the right of a civilization not to annihilate itself. We cannot interfere with the actual flowing of history on any planet, said the elder on the right. Damn your actual history. What about life? Isn't life more important? Laws take precedence, said the middle elder succinctly. Why? Why do laws take precedence? Is that another one of your excesses, that a society can't progress? 
It can't do anything excessive. Why? Why? I, I want to know why. That's all. Your race bears many conflicting interests. Excessive interests. You have never bonded together, even in a loose way. Wars go on. Right now as we speak, wars go on. Said the center one. Look at your history. Said the elder to his right. Disputes from power centers, power interests competing because of excess, excess religion, excess nationhood, ethnic and racial interests. The list is endless, Brady. And this capacity for self-interest down to the individual level is firmly implanted on your earth. Brady raised his human brows, sensing some ray of merit in what they were saying, but he could not allow the earth to destroy itself. Our wars are resolved. We have wars ourselves against the excesses you have alluded to, but we still have individual freedom. The excesses exist, said the center elder, but I am telling you we resolve our conflicts. Yes, you have in many cases until August 31st, 1992. You're not going to let that happen, are you? He asked as he felt panicky. Our race has advanced for the better because of excess. We've eradicated many diseases. We've fed starving members of our own race with our excesses. Our standard of living has gotten better. We've helped the poor, helped those who could not cope with the world. It's not all about war, he yelled fanatically. You must look at your race just as you would judge a person by the sum of his personality traits. All right, all right, humans have a dual nature. You could say that aspects of their personality are moldable. But through the proper leadership, he said, breathing heavily, either side of that dual nature can be brought to the surface. You could provide that leadership. You have had choices and good leaders, but it has all failed. If it was not the war of undoing, then it would be something else. A genetic disaster, a population squeeze. The other elders nodded in agreement. We know that all too well. What does he mean, all too well? asked Brady. Ergonoff, Mr. Brady, was not unlike your Earth. Although advanced in a technological sense, 50,000 of your years ago, long before the races of your species established what you call civilization, our people led a balanced life, not taking more from nature than they put in. Warfare was unheard of. Perfect world, I suppose. Utopia. My people tell us such stories. Your world is self-destructive, and given the proper technology, it will destroy itself. And yours is the better way. Murdoch, in its pure and simple way, was intruded upon by others in the galaxy. Over the centuries, the two worlds merged. Our ways were ruined. Nature was destroyed. And the planet was overcome with billions of dwarfs. We advanced with our technology, creating new life forms and new problems, pain and suffering, uncontrollable poverty and breakdown of society. All our civilization was contaminated by others. These Grukens, are they? Yes, they are an offshoot of the breed that served other new life forms. Those life forms threatened to put the entire planet into servitude. 
great wars were fought lasting centuries, centuries of horror and bloodshed. And in the end, the dwarfs, the original inhabitants of the planet, won that struggle almost 2,000 of your years ago, but not after there was total destruction. All of this because of interference. The logs were then written, the perimeter constructed, and the elders were created. Only we know the secrets. We are the guardians. The villagers are simple and ignorant. We decide and they do not suffer. And you are a new life form? We have said too much. The law has been written and the law will stand. We cannot change that fact. Surely you can see that Earth will suffer greater than Mergendorf. Life that self-destructs cannot be allowed to exist. Life is sacred, yelled Brady across the water. Your Earth will continue in a way that seems most likely to affect its safety and happiness. You fools! You can't think. You can only recite your laws. Yes, that is correct. You, Brady, have broken the laws of all rain. An alien on the planet must be sentenced. You know nothing of life. You only know of what happened to you thousands of years ago. You're afraid to take the middle course. That would be too difficult for you. At least my race could move toward that middle course if it knew about the Arpeg in 1992. Yes, yes, we're excessive and we could be self-destructive, but not if we are led toward what is good. That takes hard work, patience, complicated answers, not the reactionary courses that you follow. You dwarfs! Sentence will now be read. You don't want any opinions. You and your drones carrying out your orders. The intruder, William Francis Brady, that will be assigned to the death chamber. He said as Brady's emotions surged. Death by methodical, painful, time-consuming torture. A torture that will be recorded and played throughout the perimeter as a warning to those who dare challenge the Valerian law. Sentence will be carried out when the sun rises over the planet. Why don't you just kill me now? Get it over with. I don't want to be a part of your games. But the clouds receded, and the wall of water moved back over the ocean. The air grew warmer as the round red sun returned to the sky. In an instant, Brady was not standing knee-deep in the sea. He had been transported to a table with an uncomfortable burry surface. Sharp knives hung from a cobweb ceiling, and he couldn't move from the table. Around him, strange alien technologies, apparently used for torture, were set in place for victims. Three bulbous creatures with protruding teeth and green hair slithered into the chamber of death. End of your earth hour, said one of the voices through the translator. Then we will begin another. With every conceivable slice of pain we can inflict upon your fragile human body, He laughed as sweat poured down Brady's forehead and cheeks. Tears filled his eyes, but not for selfish reasons. They were tears for his mother planet, planet Earth, and the obliteration that lay ahead on August 31st, 1992. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues.
This has been a production of Fitton Theatre of the Words.